Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Adventure Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we're going to do here on the podcast today, uh, we got an email we want to respond to, which you can always write into us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. We got some what we've been watching, a bunch of stuff to discuss and what we've been watching, and then we're going to move on into an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing Shoplifters, the critically acclaimed Japanese film, and we're going to be joined by Huai Chen Bui from slashfilm.com for that review. So it should be an exciting episode of the show for you coming up, a lot of stuff to chat about. Uh, so, again, you can write it to us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. And this week, Martin L. from Swansea in the United Kingdom. Swansea? Swansea? Uh, Swansea in the United Kingdom writes in uh, to slashfilmcast.gmail.com, quote, One thing I always find jarring when the feature starts is the series of production company stings. I'm expecting the film to start, and there's some strange imagery. What is this? Oh, it's just a credit. When there's two or three, <laughs> the film, uh, when it starts, has lost a chance to intrigue me from the first shot. And then the companies have the text to, am I alone in being annoyed by this? As that email comes in from Martin L., I did not feel this rose to a level of Slash Film Corp., but I thought it was worth addressing. That's a good uh, question. Yeah. Uh, company I logos. always remember I remember the movies that just start, right? And I mm-hmm. find that kind of bold. Pearl Harbor is one of those. I remember when I saw that in the theater, uh, you're settling in, the trailers and everything. And then Pearl Harbor just starts. It doesn't stop. It's kind of crazy. Just like the real Pearl Harbor. Mm. Yeah. Too uh, soon? Too soon, yeah. Too soon. Too soon. Um, so, yeah, uh, production logos. This has been like getting more and more challenging recently, I think, because a lot of movies now are financed by many, many different companies. Yeah, uh, I dozens should point of out, companies. Yeah, I, sh- I should point out, by the way, that, that, that like Family Guy did a very funny bit on this. And if you look for it, like <laughs> if you search for the internet for Family Guy, you know, movie logos, you'll find a very amusing clip where where basically the the joke is that Peter thinks that the movie is beginning, uh, but it's not. It's just like an extremely elaborate movie logo. Ah, good. It's starting. Yeah, that's what you say. I can never figure out when the hell the studio logos end and the actual movie begins. All right, let's see what you got, Fox. Oh, I bet that's a sea monster. Oh, that's not the movie. That's, yeah, I think I heard of them. Here we go, movie! Oh, all right, period movie. Oh, not a period movie. Oh, this guy's in trouble. Can't wait to hear his story. Oh, come on! And yeah, they're they're getting more elaborate. Like I, I was uh, watching a movie with my wife once, and we it it seriously faked us out more than once. We're like, is this, is the movie beginning? Like this looks like a pretty cool movie, and then nope, it's just a right. production logo. Um, and here- you know what I like what they've been doing. I've been noticing um, more recently is the uh, audio bed starting underneath the, That's the logos. Good. Yes. Or, or if like something weird happens to the studio logo, that's an onion bit. I think. I think that's an onion <laughs> uh, story. But uh, like, uh, oh yeah, studio logo is disfigured. Shit's about to get real. Yeah, I like that. The WB or the 20th Century Fox yeah. logo gets <laughs> gets crazy. Yeah, but I like the I like the audio bed underneath the weird logo that that is now. Yeah, disparate and and odd, but you hear like the the rumbling of a car going down the highway, or yeah. you the know, Mission like... Impossible movies do that really well. well they start actually, the score. Right? Yeah, that's that's the thing I was going to point out is, in my opinion, <laughs> the Mission Impossible movies are at least um, specifically. I'm thinking of uh, five and six, right? I think I think of five, mm-hmm. maybe four as well. Um, but the Mission Impossible movies start the score, so like most 
movie production logos have their own music to go with them. But the Mission Impossible movies start the score of the film. So you're like hearing Mission Impossible score as these logos play. And yep. uh, it, I, in those movies, I find it actually – I'm like pulled into the movie, right? Oh, yeah. Rather than ripped it's out like, of it. It's like buckle up, folks. Yeah. I'm Do like, not leave your seats. Shit's about to get real. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, dude, um, these, these uh, production logos are actually heightening – the suspense of what is going to happen when they cut away from the mm-hmm. logos, right? Like so, a Ghost Protocol, the way it opens up, it's it's like the buildup of the of the of the music, right? And then smash cut to that door opening, right? That door being smashed open by uh, what's his face from Lost. Oh, uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, there's that huge like helicopter shot, and then like Sawyer yep, from Lost, yep. right? Um, into into that, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. But yeah, like Mission Impossible four, five, and six, I think like have really great use of production logos uh, at the beginning, and and that's what I would encourage filmmakers to do because I know so many top tier Hollywood filmmakers are listening to this podcast is use the production logos as a means of starting the story, and the way to do that is it's not so uh, much that they they just listen to the show, Dave. It's that they look for advice as to <laughs> yes. how to structure and start the That's cinematic right. experience no, exactly. for the audience. Thank you, thank you for clearing that up, Jeff, because that was unclear. Yeah. Um, and also, theater chains. Uh, I, I hear they were really interested in Popcorn Guy, so you know, yeah, they come yeah. to us. Yeah. So uh, anyway, it, it doesn't need to be score. It can also be soundtrack, right? Um, but I, I do think like the audio that's going on under the logos is important. So uh, uh, to to respond to our listener, yes, I agree. It is annoying when there's like an endless string of production logos that just are slapped on there without any uh, sense of like what it's doing to the theatrical experience. And I love it when there are logos that uh, like pull you in or that they when they use the logo as an opportunity to tell the story, right? Or or to kind of set the tone. For what's going to happen with the movie. So, anything else we have to say about that, guys? I, I think your point that so many, we're seeing more and more of these logos as I think more folks are investing in movies now, uh, especially out of China for sure. Um, we're getting a lot of weird, random studio uh, sequences. And I think that does start to take me out of the movie for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks I don't for- know. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of, of, of a cool, unexpected sequence. I'm always trying to figure out what, what, what that weird thing, is how that relates to the name, yeah. how does it relate to the name of the production company? Right, why, does, right. why is there a man shooting an arrow through that? <laughs> through, uh, through the axes, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why, why is there like a C and a G hanging in a, in what looks like a jail cell? You know, like, yeah. Anyway. When I was a kid, yeah. they would, I would, my little heart would flutter every time I saw that Pegasus the leap Pegasus? through the triangle. Yeah. You know? the, the, a horse, <laughs> you know, uh, just like that, the, the lion. Lion's always good. Yep. Uh, I always loved the Orion logo. That was always yeah. like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, I am the, ready. The I'm ready for this. Yes. Yeah, the little stars swirling around into the O. So yeah. good. Okay, so l- good. let me ask you guys this. Do you have a favorite production company logo, right? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm very partial to the Amazon Studios one. But putting that aside, <laughs> since I work there. Uh, Actually, the Amazon Studio ones is pretty cool. It's, it's, it's pretty like, great. Yeah. Flying over and then the house in the middle of the city, right? Yeah, it, like assembles itself, right? Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay, but putting yeah. putting that aside, I would say probably my favorite one right now is uh, Ridley Scott's, like Scott Free production. Scott I think Free with the weird the, painted, yeah. uh, like crow mm, thing. The animation, right? Good. Yeah, I think that's yeah. pretty cool. For me, it's like Bad Robot, like bad the robot. current ones. Bad mm. Robot is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Bad Robot's pretty good. So. Uh, I, I was really enjoying this segment where we like try to describe production logos. Yeah, well, <laughs> what's the Pegasus one? Was that Touchstone? Tri- Tristar. 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 Man, that was good. That's yeah, my favorite all stuff. time. 
There's a, a good score too. Like I, I can distinctly remember that score and the way it builds up the, the, the like horns and it yeah. slowly builds up. So like, oh yeah, you're in for an experience now. Yeah. And it was like old school, right? Today you do that, that thing with a CGI horse mm-hmm. and it's, but it's not, it's old school wings <laughs> unfurling, like hand animated. And then it, it pauses in the triangle and mm. turns into the logo. Cool stuff. I, I have to say, I also really like Netflix's new login splash. Uh, which, which I think is pretty cool. Now it's like uh, very bright and colorful. So if you're, especially if you're watching it on an HDR display, uh, it is like you're being transported into another dimension or something. You know, well, I mean, I guess I can't not say the Marvel Studios. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. I, although I have to say, I much prefer the old the Marvel old, Studios. Yeah, the earlier ones. It's like the flipping comic, comic book pages. Yes, the actual oh. comic art instead of the actors. Now it's they've moved it to the live action actors, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is not although. I won't spoil anything, but there's a new one, and mm. it's very good. I liked the uh, – one of my favorite movie logo experiences was, I, I want to say, Spider-Man 2, I think, uh, the Sam Raimi movie, where the uh, – if I recall correctly, the flipping of the comic book pages – like transitions into Danny Elfman's intro score for that film. Mm. Uh, really loved it. Like when yeah. – Again, it's it all goes back to like the the uh, logos being part of the movie, right? And like making them part of the movie. So yeah, and the old, you know, also if we're just going down this road now, yes. the old uh, Lucasfilm logo that would just be green and oh, then like oh yeah, glitter just, would go across it. Just the glowing, right? The flashing, yeah, you know, very classy. I really liked yeah. how how classy and old school that was. So. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun to talk about the movie logo. That's fun. Um, yeah. All right. So that's our get... new podcast, movie logo. <laughs> this has been a pilot we'll for the podcast, and we're done. Um, so what we've been watching this week. I want to mention a couple things I've been watching this week. Do uh, you guys want to hear the good thing or the not as great thing? What do you, which one should I start with? I can join you for the good thing. Oh, okay. The good thing. The so, good oh, thing or the not as great a thing? <laughs> ah, nice. Okay. So Apollo 11. Apollo 11 uh, is a documentary that's out in IMAX this week. And features previously unseen footage from the Apollo 11 mission. It's a mm-hmm. remarkable documentary. Uh, can you be- can you say stunning, Dave? Because I really like the way you say stunning. stunning. It is a stunning movie. It's stunning. Yes, right. It's yes. a stunning movie. Uh, it's it's basically a uh, a documentary version of First Man. Right. It's like a documentary companion to what's going on there. But it is not a regular documentary. There's no talking heads. There's no interviews with people that are voicing over stuff. It's just all archival footage and they cleaned it up and they remastered it for IMAX and it's amazing it, it, it reminds me of the feeling like don't take this the wrong way don't like in, like you know interpret this too strongly but like it reminds me of the feeling I had when I saw OJ made in America that like <laughs> ESPN documentary not because Apollo 11 has anything to do with murder uh, but because when I was watching that movie I was like I can't believe this footage exists and then I can't believe this person got it and assembled it together right. in this way, right? right? Uh, and it is a remarkable a- accomplishment in archival footage. And just as a theatrical experience, it's amazing. Devendra, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gushing about it. What did you think of Apollo 11? What, like, what made you go see this movie? I, I was just hearing a lot of cool things about it, and I had some free time this weekend. And I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go use my, uh, my certain subscription pass to a certain theater chain and watch <laughs> a $26 movie, really get my membership worth it. You nice. Know? Um, and yeah, we, I saw this playing at the 68th Street Theater here, which is one of the few you know, full-sized IMAXs. And yeah, th- th- this movie is incredible. Um, I think from the very first shot where you're, so you're watching um, – I believe the rockets getting slowly driven 
to the uh, to the shuttle base or, or to the launch pad, and it is pristine. It is so clear, like the colors just pop off the screen. It is like a window into the past. I call this movie basically a time machine. And the story behind how they got the, this footage to is kind of insane. Uh, there's a really good Vanity Fair article about it, um, but basically. Uh, they had shot a bunch of uh, 65 millimeter footage for a project that never really happened. I think some of it got used for a shorter thing that just kind of disappeared over time. Uh, but what was left in the archives was just all the 65 millimeter that was formatted specifically for like large scale projection. So it was not that difficult to like bring it over to digital and bring it over to IMAX. And it, it's just astounding. Like the combination of that, uh, just seeing these different angles, uh, we've all seen. I think the stock footage and the stock imagery around the Apollo 11 launch, uh, this just shows us like the crowds, the people, the gawkers in way that in ways that I had never seen before. It was just astounding to like be there and witness this whole experience. And also the sound design yeah. is amazing. Incredible. Like they really get you the sense of being there is really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, there's kind of this uncanny valley situation where the footage in this movie, Apollo 11, looks better uh, some of the footage looks better than the footage in like modern day science fiction movies like apollo 13 right and it's it's remarkable that this 50 year old footage cleaned up actually looks better than like a modern day film um and yeah it's 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 not only a very great viewing experience it's a uh, a service to american history that the filmmakers behind this uncovered this footage, assembled it in this way, it will now become part of the collective memory of what this event is. And I think that's like a service to like how we remember this momentous occasion. So, uh, big fan of this movie, and I think uh, everyone should check it out if you can. Unfortunately, it's only an IMAX for like one week. So, kind of a bummer. Oh, but if, you, if you're hearing this right now, you still have a couple days to go check it out. Um, I, I do think it's really impressive. When they get to... I do want to say, like, <laughs> if I'm putting my film critic nitpicky hat, hat on... When they get to space, the footage is not quite as impressive because they were then in you get space. Then photographs. They were in yeah. space 50 years ago. You know, they didn't have like IMAX cameras they could take up there. Um, but they find some creative ways around it. And I think that's it's worth checking out. Just to see there's, there's a lot of footage of the control room that yeah. we've never yeah. seen before. And that's I found right. that really fascinating, too. There are these shots that are like almost like uh, they're not steady cam shots because the camera isn't steady. But they're definitely like uh, like gorilla running shots down right. the control rooms. And just aisles and aisles of ancient computers, and everything's moving so quickly. It is, it, it, yeah, it's it's really good. <laughs> if you have a chance to go see it, definitely do it. It's worth your time. I do want to. It's not playing at my IMAX theater across the street from my mm, house. That is a bummer. What is playing? It's probably How to Train a Dragon or something, right? Like, what's what is playing? Uh, I'm not really even sure what's playing, but it's that movie is not playing there at all. So bummer. Um, I do want to thank Ernest Kim at e Kim on Twitter, who wrote me the following. To Jeff Kanata, Davindra, and Dave Chensky, a.k.a. the Slash Filmcast crew, please see the new Apollo 11 documentary while it's out on IMAX. You'll kick yourselves if you don't. It's incredibly well done. A tour de force of editing and an absolute inspiration. Um, mm -hmm. So th that is his tweet. And you'll, quote, you'll kick yourselves if you don't, end quote. That, that really got to me. I'm like, okay, really? Am I really going to kick myself? If I don't? So I went you in, will very, kick yourself. I went in yeah. very skeptical. I was like, there's very few experiences that are going to make me kick myself if I didn't see Jeff, them in Jeff, you may have to look beyond the theater from across <laughs> your street. 
uh, it is worth it. It but is yeah, worth I, driving a bit. But there's a theater across the street from my house, guys. I don't <laughs> I ultimately I I... Uh, agree with Ernest's assessment. I was like, oh my, like the whole time I was watching, I'm like, I'm so glad I saw this while I was in theaters because um, you'll never get that experience again, really. Is, is, is... How, how was your audience, Dave? Well, it was pretty good, except one person brought in an infant. Like the movie is rated, <laughs> the movie is rated G and someone brought in like a one-year-old or like Listen, a, it's rated G, okay? a, a two-year-old. And, and the movie is actually really scary. Like a lot of it takes place right, in right. space. Uh, it's very loud. Do not yes. bring your kids to this movie. That's yes. my recommendation. Do not bring I, your kids. Do not bring your one year old to any movie. <laughs> yeah, I think it, that's it's good... kind of tough. It, it's not a quiet movie, really. Like I, I think if you if you prepared, like if your kid is probably older than one or two, but uh, if if loud noises scare them, it is worth seeing that giant imagery. Uh, they have those uh, wonderful uh, kid headphones, the noise dampeners. Mm. Uh, wear those, sit through it. Like, um, I, I don't know. It's a really interesting experience. Uh, but I, I saw it at 4 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon here in New York. And the IMAX theater was mostly full. Yeah. I just felt so, I felt so heartened for like this crowd of nerds <laughs> who just trekked out in crappy weather to go see this thing. And then uh, as at when the footage first appeared, people gasped. Like it was, it was palpable. Like we didn't know how to process what we were seeing. And uh, yeah, as, as the movie hits key moments too, like people clapped. I saw kids get really excited. Uh, this this is great. This movie is like everything I want in society right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really impressive and I would recommend it. And oh, there was like 30 or 40 people at my screening, which I went to at 1030 AM um, in a okay. mall. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty good stuff. The movie's Apollo 11. It's on IMAX right now, and you should definitely see it. it. You might not get to see it in IMAX because if you're listening to this after, you know, this Friday or whatever, you're not probably not going to get a chance to see it. But um, see it when it comes out on video. It's not going to be quite the same effect, but it's still really impressive movie. And it's cool that, yeah, we have First Man and we have this movie now that really recontextualize uh, the Apollo 11 mission in ways that I think are uh, surprising and, and uh, beneficial for the way we remember them. So... Somebody needs to do like a, a Topher Grace style supercut of of the Apollo 11 documentary, and then once they get in space, they just seamlessly go to the IMAX footage from First Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's shocking how similar it is, to be honest with you. Like how similar the footage is to what you see in First Man. So, um, anyway, so that's what I've been watching, uh, ladies. Oh, one other thing I've been watching, ladies and gentlemen. You know, sometimes on this podcast, um, Dave Chen loses arguments. For what we should watch and discuss as our main review, and uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, I lost the argument of uh, us watching and reviewing Neil Jordan's new movie Greta, uh, which is the new stalking movie starring Isabel Huppert. Uh, I had a chance to see it. I am glad we're talking about shoplifters, shoplifters today. <laughs> like I, I think that Shoplifters is a better film, but I did get quite a bit of enjoyment out of Greta. I think. Uh, I went to the movie to see a competently directed thriller in which Isabelle Huppert uh, plays a batshit insane stalker. And I got that. I think the direction is really uh, – there's moments when it's actually really impressive and, and surprising. The Neil Jordan makes some decisions that I, I was like really impressed with. It's lit beautifully. And, of course, Isabelle uh, Huppert is like the main event. And um, she's great. She's obviously like one of our, our best actresses and – and delivers a performance that is creepy and 
really over the top and delicious. So uh, I recommend this movie if you want kind of a fun B movie. So I really thought that was a setup for a boom goes a dynamite. We said I went to the movies to see a well directed movie starring. Isabella Aubert, and then you, I thought it was going to go someplace no, it didn't go. No, it was it was Greta, and it was uh, highly enjoyable. So I recommend checking it out. So that's what I've been watching this week. Devinder Hardaway, what have you been watching? I have been checking out uh, The Umbrella Academy, the new Netflix superhero show. We're getting so many damn superhero shows right now, so it's uh, it's all getting kind of confusing. This one is based on the comic book series by Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance fame. Um, it's sort of like a uh, weird bonkers X-Men. Uh, it, it's it's set in a world where um, emo when, X-Men, really. Yeah. Emo X-Men, basically. Um, but it's set, it's set in a world where uh, a bunch of women from around the world all of a sudden get pregnant, have these babies and a crazy rich guy uh, collects some of them to uh, to have like an academy and to train them and to test them. So it's sort of like a, a weird take on Professor Xavier and the kids he collects, um, they do not appreciate this. Basically, like it, it was not a happy childhood for them uh, because he basically uh, forced them to uh, become the superhero group. Like he was training them to do this thing while studying him, while studying them and not really loving them. So that's the setup. And the show um, starts with them as adults and, uh, you know, them trying to figure themselves out as a family and deal with all the dysfunction that that they have and at, at the same time like the end of the world is approaching so that's a whole thing um it's a it's a fun show i really like the cast uh stars emlyn page it also has robert sheehan from misfits which is a show i also really enjoyed so two former uh people from other superhero properties uh i think that's kind of funny and the show is like a really great tone it's kind of whimsical it's funny there's a lot of action uh, it's not quite fulfilling, though. I will say it's another one of those Netflix shows that, um, you know, it is, I think, how many, like 10 episodes at this point. Um, it feels too long for the plot that we get. Um, the the real thrust behind the show is that uh, the world is going to end in like a week or something. And it takes them until the middle of the season to really convey that to all the main characters which I think is just kind of uh, kind of ridiculous. It just feels like we're just wasting a lot of time. Uh, but, you know, there, there's a lot of fun to be had here, especially if you're tired of, like, the typical superhero stuff. Uh, I just also wish this uh, show had better action staging. I think the choreography is fine, but they, they have no idea how to shoot it. So it feels really jarring to be coming off of shows like uh, Daredevil or even Luke Cage and then go to this and, like, everything is kind of a mess to watch. Uh, but beyond that, it, it is, it, you know, it's worth a watch. It's fun. Uh, Jeff, you check this movie out or this show out on Netflix yet? Uh, I did. I I haven't watched very many episodes of it. To be honest with you, I I, I was a fan. Uh, I have the the collected um, trade paperback of this. Mm-hmm. I think we actually reviewed Umbrella Academy on the Totally Rad Show back in the day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a it is a bonkers comic that I just can't could never imagine making into a TV show because it has so many wacky ideas and yet they kept all of them. It, it no, really, I, I hear it seems like just from people I know who've also read it, like they definitely have cut a lot of stuff, right? It is a lot less bonkers than the original, but there, there's some of it. There's a lot of crazy time warping and time travel stuff going yeah. on too. Yeah. Ape Butler, you know, there's, there's lots Ape of Butler. Stuff. I love Ape Butler. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I, I really just watched the first episode, so I, I don't know how much is cut or not, but I was just, I was shocked at how much is, is in there. Like the size and shape of people in the show, like, 
that works as a drawing. Oh, but man. It's kind of amazing. So. I really I really don't like the size and shape of one person in the show who's sort <laughs> yeah. of like the uh, the strong man, like the big and strong like superhero, uh, Superman type, who is sort of like a failed leader of the group, I guess. Um, it's It's a guy wearing a muscle suit. It's a really bad muscle suit. But I can't tell if it's just bad costuming or if like that's that's the point. That's the way it's supposed to look. Uh, either way, it, it looks completely ridiculous. It takes me out of the show every single time. Yeah. Uh, how many episodes in are you, Devendra? I'm about halfway through, so it's like okay. six episodes. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I've heard like pretty mixed to negative things about it, but um, yeah, I, it's I, another I... one of those shows I'm like half watching, mm. basically, because like if the show if the show isn't treating me right as right. a member of the audience, you know, it's like okay, I'm I'm only I'm gonna give you the amount of attention you deserve. So it's a good thing to like watch while I'm like doing other work. Basically, you know, you know what show is like that for me actually is uh, uh-huh. uh, Homeland on Showtime. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I I half watch that show all the time. Um, is it still yeah, going? So it's still going. I think there's one more season left. I actually Reason. finished season seven. I think it was recently. So um, I need to finish that. Yeah. That show feels like it started in the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It does. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so Umbrella Academy is on Netflix. That's what Devinger's been watching. And Jeff Kanata, you've been watching something that we're going to tell people how it ends up, right? Because, like, <laughs> yeah. because I got some crap for it you know, earlier on. But at this point, I think it's like so... It's so out in the culture already that, like, yeah, um, I think somebody was on stage at a very well watched (laughs) event. Yeah, Uh, millions of people saw the outcome already. So, anyway, um, the movie's free solo. You finally had a chance to check it out. Finally, I've been dying to see this. Okay, I love this movie, it's one of my top 10 of the year. What did you think of it? I loved it too. I I watched it uh, with my mom. My mom was in town last week. Uh, and so uh, I had a bunch of uh, opportunities to just watch movies with my mom, watched the movie that we will be talking about later, Shoplifters, with my mom. Um, but we also watched Free Solo. And uh, this movie makes my palms sweat. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I knew it what happens, right? But right. I, it didn't matter. My yep. palms were sweaty and I was uncomfortable in my seat. I get the tingling uh, in my toes when, when, yeah. uh, when you are like that high up, right? My uh, my wife calls those scaredy toes. Yeah, you get, sca- yeah, yeah. get scaredy toes. I got scaredy toes. Uh, yeah. Um, so of of course, Free Solo is the documentary about a, 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 an insane person, <laughs> Alex, who decides, Alex Honnold, right? Yep. Yes, who decides to uh, climb the El Capitan in Yosemite uh, without any safety equipment, um, and it. It's so much more than that, though. Yeah. I, I found the filmmaking to be really smart uh, because it there's a line early on in the movie where they're interviewing a different uh, world class rock climber, and this gentleman I can't remember which one, but he says um, the people who know only a little bit about rock climbing think it's an amazing feat, and the people that know a lot about rock climbing think it's the stupidest thing you could possibly do, right? <laughs> and the movie does such a good job of expressing how difficult this actually is to accomplish and pinpointing the specific points of challenge and death-defying moments that, you know, you sort of have this surface-level understanding of climbing something really tall without any safety equipment is a risky thing to do. You understand that a priori, right? You get that. But 
the fact that literally no human has ever done this particular rock face before yeah and why and what it takes and how the other people in this field think to even attempt it is suicide it's like that all, all of that is spelled out so beautifully and understanding what what the easy part quote unquote easy parts are and what the hard parts are i, I think it is all done so well and also I think you mentioned this when you talked about it on the show months ago. Uh, it is, I think, very compelling to get for the filmmakers to put themselves on camera, mm-hmm. and you understand the challenges that they have in capturing all of this and in potentially filming the death of their friend, which is a it just it's hard to wrap your brain around that, and watching them struggle to wrap their brains around it is compelling. But also the thing that I didn't expect to enjoy so much was this relationship that Alex has with his girlfriend uh, who the whole movie I was like, girl, you deserve better than this. <laughs> Go find yourself someone who's not going to die. Uh, you know, it's it's um, it's she seems lovely and uh, I just feel like she could do way better anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, it's it's a delightful look into their life and and it is the exact question you would have is like how could you be with someone that does this and i don't know if that question is answered but you certainly get a window into a person who is and what that does to her i wish we kind of knew more about her actually i wish um there was more discussion of of who she is where she comes from and what she does for a living and etc but um the movie is excellent and thrilling. And like I said, it made my palms sweaty. I, I had a lump in my throat, the whole process of climbing the El Capitan. It is beautifully shot and, um, quite a, a piece of history in its own right, you know, just to see someone do something that no human had ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, Amazing. Nor should any human ever do, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think the movie fully reckons with that. You know, I, I don't no. think the movie fully – because the, the idea I is I don't that, think you can. Right. I don't think yeah. you can reckon with that. Yeah. That being said, it, this movie does have one of the greatest opening shots of all time, right? And I, I won't spoil it for those who haven't seen it yet. But, uh, like, when the movie started and that opening shot occurs, I'm like, okay, I'm definitely going to watch the rest. Like – I'm, I'm definitely here. For, I'm in for this journey, whatever this journey is, um, because you yeah. have you have hooked me from second one. So um, my favorite, my one of my favorite. I mean, there's a lot to like about this movie, but one of my favorite things is how it repeatedly shows the first step up the mountain, mm-hmm. where he's like standing there and he looks up and then he just starts climbing, and it's like it's such a simple thing, but he's about to climb three thousand feet without anything other than his hands and feet and just that first moment of embarking is i don't know there's something magical about that that mm. i found I, I was so glad they included yeah, yeah yeah the movie's free solo it's available right now in video on demand i think it's going to be hitting either hulu or netflix or amazon sometime in the near future um but it is great it won the uh academy award for best documentary in 2018 and I yeah. think it really deserved it. So free solo. I, I, I think that it is certainly deserving of the award. I don't know if I would still maybe 
give it to um, Mining the Gap. Mining the Gap. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Those are both very excellent documentaries worthy of your viewing. I think actually Mining the Gap would have been a better title for this film. I'm going to just put that out. <laughs> it would make more yeah. sense. Yeah. And maybe yeah. a free solo would work for the other one. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, that's what we've been watching this week. Before we get to our review of Shoplifters, we got to thank all the people that donated to the podcast this week. we got to thank Brandon Brevard, who's donating $5 per month, and David Cullick and Matthew Farrell, who are donating at the rate of $2 per month for being new subscribers to the podcast. And also, we got a donation... From Nathan and Kevin from the Fast Food Film Friends podcast. Now, this this donation came in during wow. the recording of the podcast. And it, accom- it was accompanied by this message. During the recording right now? Right today? now, yeah. It literally came in uh, 40 minutes ago while we were recording. Uh, oh. I mean, we, well, we recorded any- this podcast out of order, but yes. Um, if you, came- anybody wants to, uh, you know, you still, we still got time. <laughs> still got time, that's right. So uh, here's a message that accompanied this donation. Hey guys, huge fans of the show. There's nothing better than going to see a great new movie, getting in the car afterwards, and listening to the Slash Filmcast review of the film on the drive home. Recently, some listeners have attempted to use their dollars to convince one of you three to consume a particular piece of art. For Uh-oh. Dave, it was Netflix's Dark. For Jeff, it was AMC's Preacher. Devinder Hardware, it's your turn. But since you're so well-versed in the world of cinema, we here at the Fast Food Film Friends podcast want to request something a little bit different. We would love if you use $10 out of this donation to purchase a meat mountain sandwich from your local Arby's. <laughs> it's, it's our favorite fast food menu of all uh, fast food menu item of all time and we can't wait to hear what you think of it. Once you've eaten that beefy beast of an entree, feel free to tweet your one sentence review to us at FFFF podcast. I have Twitter. to say that that is not the most appealing menu item there. <laughs> the meat mountain all. sandwich is not nope. appealing. A, a lot of imagery comes through my head with that. And you're gonna, nothing Davindra, are you going to free solo that meat mountain? <laughs> I will. I'll try to. There aren't many Arby's in New York. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see. I'll try. I'll be in Texas next week, too, for South by. So maybe. All right. All right. Well, um, that comes in from that's a hot donation that comes in from Nathan and Kevin from the fast food that's film. Pretty hot. Podcast. That's as hot as it gets. It's as hot you as know, it gets. I've literally never eaten at an Arby's in my life. Mm. I hear they got the meats. I think yeah, I might have eaten there once at a mall food court. Is uh, I might have eaten at Arby's once. Yeah, we don't, don't have we like don't I'm have Arby's near, We don't have Arby's near near where I live, so it's unfortunate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, if you... thank you for that, guys. Yeah, yeah, thanks, <laughs> yeah, thanks. thanks for that. Whatever that thanks. was, I'm gonna take photos. Yeah, sure, um, I love it. <laughs> uh, but in general, we appreciate it if the the monies don't come with um, food dares attached to them. You know, <laughs> listen, we're not Matt Singer over here, okay? Like, we don't do that. You can also you can always donate to us at paypal.me/filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. You can also go to slashfilm.com, use the slash filmcast tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Never donate if it in any way causes hardship for you. Uh, but if you have some extra or cash, throw away. Or for our palate. <laughs> or for what? Or for our palate. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but uh, you can always uh, leave a review for us wherever you find us on your podcast services. That would also that would always be appreciated and is a free way for you to support us. Uh, but the money does help us defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show, so we really appreciate it. All right. Um, that's going to bring us to our review. Actually, Dave, one thing, one quick thing. Oh, yeah. There was news this morning. Luke Perry. How sad was that? I'm not oh, sure if that yeah. affected you guys at all. 
but I do, I, I do want to throw out some love for Luke Perry and for his family. Um, I, I wasn't a huge 90210 fan, but I did love Luke Perry uh, among his many roles. Uh, he was in the first Buffy movie, and most recently he was in Riverdale playing one of the dads. Uh, he's playing Archie's dad in Riverdale, and he was so good in that show. And I, j- I just want to say, like, um, yeah, I, I feel for him. Uh, very so sad to hear young. about his so passing. 52. Yeah. So incredibly young. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Um, well, you will be missed, Luke Perry. Our show must go on. Let's get to our review of Shoplifters. That was from the trailer for Shoplifters. Uh, And I'm going to read the plot summary of that film from IMDb. A family of small-time crooks taking a child they find outside of the cold. Not a very good description of the movie, but, you know, (laughs) it's it's an okay summary. Sounds like a wacky comedy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Precisely. And joining us for our review of Shoplifters today, she is a staff writer and film critic uh, at SlashFilm.com. Hwai Chen Bui, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Hwai Chen, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me back, guys. Glad to have you on. Uh, And I I wanted to invite you on because, HT, you rated Shoplifters as your number one film of 2018. Yeah. So I thought I'd ask... Why did you rate it your number one film of 2018 in our pre-spoiler section? Tell us what you liked about it. So this is a film that just really struck me when I watched it. And I have talked to someone about this before where they said that I tend to uh, watch movies based both on intellect and emotion. And this was a movie that definitely hit me hard with the emotion. And I think that it, but rather than being cloying or um, emotionally manipulated in some parts, I felt like Shoplifters, especially, is sort of effortly, effortlessly empathetic, and um, this is something that's very common with the uh, Hirokazu Koreeda's films, in that he just has um, just empathy and, and humanity just kind of spilling out through the edges of his films. And um, this is a film that is about a dysfunctional sort of found family. And uh, these people living on the margins of society who are bound together by just sort of common um, traits and uh, being outsiders. And I found that incredibly endearing and just something that really touched me. And I think that it's such a quietly devastating film in a way that it just like sneaks up on you in how the... um, these characters sort of build and you get to know them and get to uh, empathize with them even more. And um, I think that there is something to be said for a film that is just um, not trying to so much, but but yet accomplishes so much uh, without being quite flamboyant or, um, or or just uh, apparent in uh, its Mm -hmm. um, technique. Right, right. Uh, it's a very classically made film to an extent that I thought was actually really impressive. They're shooting in these locations that are – or in one location specifically that's extremely cluttered, right? 
and cramped. I, yeah. yeah, very yeah. cramped, very cluttered. And the whole time I was watching this movie, I, I thought to myself, how are they even getting some of these shots? Uh, because usually when you have something that cluttered and it needs to look so lived in, it needs to look like an actual place, uh, they'll try to cheat it somehow. They'll use handheld cameras or the, you know, they'll do something to uh, make the filmmaking different in order to accommodate – uh, the fact that they're shooting what in what looks like a real location, but nope, the whole time it's all like stationary shots. It's all locked off shots. Um, very the, the camera movements look like they're like dolly shots or Steadicam, mm-hmm. uh, and that just must have been very challenging. I mean, I think there's a reason why you don't see movies shot like this in um, in very small cramped environments. It's very difficult to do. Uh, not since like Terry Gilliam movies have I felt like. I've seen, you know, a movie that took place in this location that had so much stuff in it. Um, you're you're sitting camera, in there with them, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm. The camera is often behind things. Yes. Very often behind stuff, which I think adds that feeling of cramped and cluttered as well. Yeah. It's so or, or like really far away from them, too. There are several shots where it's like really, really high up. Right. Like maybe in like the fifth floor of an apartment building next to them. It's peering down at them in this little alleyway and this little shack they're living in. And yeah, so so much. Yeah, the, but, the but camera work speaks volumes. To echo uh, HT's point, though, yeah, it just it the the work the camera work is very um, unassuming. You know, it, it doesn't call attention to itself in any way, and I think that's one of the film's strengths. Devendra, what did you think of Shoplifters? So I I love this movie. I adore it completely. I'm a huge fan of Corrado's work, uh, in particular his 1998 movie Afterlife. And this movie, I saw this movie in high school. This was one of the movies that. Uh, really got me into cinema and really made me start thinking more deeply about how movies could affect you. And that movie is astounding, by the way. So shout out for that. If you enjoyed Shoplifters, uh, check out that movie. That movie is about people who die. And when you die, you have a week to pick one memory from your life to hold on to for eternity. Imagine that. Just like that, that setup. Is like I'd, so, I'd choose this conversation right here. <laughs> so promising. This for well, one hour. Nicely yeah, done. There you go. There you go. So... This movie, yeah, is astounding. I think he, in particular, the way he treats people, just like simple human problems, I think is deeply interesting. Um, his characters are always really unique. And I think every everyone in this movie has a really unique sensibility, but you can understand how they work together as a found family and kind of how, kind of what works about them. You can't help but love them, or at least you can't help but empathize with them as a family, even if you don't agree with everything that's happening. Um, you know, this reminds me of like a lot of the other um, recent movies about parents raising their kids in untraditional ways. Uh, this one's certainly n- far different than Captain Fantastic, but I feel it has a similar sensibility to the idea that, you know, society is not working for you. And your only option if you're shut out from society is to kind of reject it in a way and kind of what you're teaching your kids is that rejection of society uh, maybe not always for the best, maybe not always for the betterment of the kids. But I find it interesting, like how these, uh, you know, these adults, at least how the grandmother and um, the I guess the mother and father figure of this family kind of go about things. And it's really interesting, too, because you don't normally see a movie like this set in Japan. You know, we think of Japan, we think of like, you know, uh, super clean Tokyo bullet trains. Everyone like everyone is going to school. Everyone has high paying jobs or at least everyone has a job and everyone's really busy and working around or running around all the time. The idea that people are struggling to get by in a super first world country like Japan 
seems it seems very strange like we rarely see that story um i think one of the few times is like uh tokyo godfathers i think and that movie is also very similar to this it's all also about um people on the fringes adopting a child and kind of helping that teach them new things but anyway what did you guys think well yeah i think that that's one of the great things about cinema is it can illuminate aspects of a culture that you don't normally have access to uh we just finished reviewing burning here on the slash Filmcast not too long ago and that movie is also another film that takes place in another country where uh, the image you uh, get most of the time in pop culture doesn't match the image that many people experience. And uh, one of the characters in Burning certainly it, it very much lives life on the margins as the characters in this film do. Jeff Kanata, you were talking about how you would preserve this conversation if you had to take one memory mm. to eternity. Uh, and you know what? I'm willing to consider it, but it depends on what you say next. So Jeff Kanata, what did you think of Shoplifters? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts about this movie are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Oh, wow. What yeah. A, what a shock. <clears throat> All right. A movie that builds its art from subtle, quieter parts. Watching these folks survive while broke, they steal everything but my heart. Oh, so that means yeah. you didn't like the movie. Uh, I think I'm probably going to be the one among us that liked it the least. Mm. I I admire this movie. As you guys have have pointed out uh, well, I find it very interesting that this movie is about the Japanese urban poor, right? Mm. As DaVinci was pointing out, we we either get – in movies set in Japan, it seems to me, at least in my experience, you either get this very slick, clean, um, modern – affluent side the the tokyo side or you get the very rural you know japan like your name your name was basically both of those sides, right exactly yeah and both of those i find fascinating and interesting i i was a exchange student in japan and i actually lived with two different families and one of each of those sides right but you never see the urban poor and you almost it was a revelation to me going, oh, yeah, of course there would be urban poor. Of course. You know, that there's no society that doesn't have these people that, as you say, live on the margins. Uh, but you never see them depicted in cinema about or set in Japan. And, and I found that very interesting. Uh, I, I found the movie is is very minimal. It, it is it is about small moments. It's about little flashes of everyday life that aren't particularly impactful or aren't particularly special. They're just these moments that people are are together or learning about each other. And it's a very slow, methodical film in that way. And you're just sort of getting the slice of life of these people who you kind of don't uh, usually see or have access to. And, and, and all for all of that, I admire the movie. I think it is artfully shot and artfully acted and, beautiful in in a way but i never got an emotional connection that it sounds like you guys did and i think that might be because i sort of bounced off it very early on with the inciting incident that which we've already mentioned and just in the description the the two sentence description that dave said so it's not a spoiler of you know taking in this girl i just i wasn't with the movie at that i wasn't with those i thought that was a bad decision Mm-hmm. Or how they handled it was 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 bad, and I never recovered. Right, I just I was I found myself judging these people harshly the way they would teach their children to to steal and stuff like that. I 
I couldn't help myself but feel a little bit not not 100% on their side, right? And and I think that prevented me from empathizing. Well, not empathize. I empathized, right? I just didn't sympathize. I I felt for them and for their situation and you know, and the situation of people like that who are forced into making those kinds of bad decisions, but I didn't sympathize with that decision. I didn't I didn't like them for it. And I, I did think that they were doing a bad thing to that girl. Like I did mm. think that they weren't doing the right thing. I feel like right we, we could talk more about that in spoilers. Yeah. yeah. Too, I mean, I think it is, it's uh, complex, but I think, yeah. I think that it dichotomy is, is there. And I actually, I actually, that's one of the things I actually really liked about this film is mm-hmm. that, you know, you have that dichotomy of you empathize with these people because they are um, interesting and flawed and complex. And yet, because of those flaws, you cannot fully comp- mm-hmm. like connect with them in that way. And I, I, I think that's what I like about this film is that it doesn't ask you to completely like endear with them. Yeah, I, I think I, Jeff, it is true. at best supposed to be a mixed wisdom decision. Like it is, mm-hmm. it is not sure. supposed to be like you're like, oh, that was an awesome decision. Uh, at best, it's a mixed bag, right? Like, you're, right, but I don't I, think you're I, supposed I, to unreservedly be on board with it in any way. I agree, but I also think you're supposed to fall in love with them, mm-hmm. and and I didn't. That's mm-hmm. all. All right, that's fair. That's fair enough. And so, uh, and the, and is that the only reason that like you didn't like like it sounds like emotionally you didn't connect with the film because emotionally I didn't connect, and and, and because of that, because I didn't enjoy luxuriating in just being with them, which I think is what the movie kind of is. Yeah, I found it to be a little slow and plodding because. I kept waiting for something more to happen, but it really isn't about that. It's more, it's about just sort of being with these people and understanding them and understanding their struggles and their sort of emotional life. And, and there is a bit of a reveal late in the movie, but that didn't land on me in any particular emotional way either. And, and I don't know, I, I just, I was never on board hundred percent. I kind of, I felt detached and admired it from afar Mm -hmm. and in a cold way. And I felt like the movie wanted to be very warm and wanted me to to love it and feel this kind of emotional connection to the characters that I never felt. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. I think I, I think you're right about the movie's intentions, right? Yeah. And mm. uh, I, I'm sorry I didn't connect with you, but Jeff, I, as usual, I appreciate you taking a chance on it. Um, I uh, I thought this movie was very good. I thought uh, is very strong. I, I didn't quite like it as much as HT, maybe not even as much as Devendra, um, but overall, I was a big fan. It reminded me of. Um, honestly, it reminded me of uh, my pastor back in Boston, um, Pastor Dave from uh, High Rock Church. And this is the, the stuff I'm about to say on this podcast is all stuff that he has disclosed publicly. And like there's actually been articles written up about this and stuff like that. Um, so I don't think I'm like talking out of school when – He stole I, a child? Uh, no, not, not at all. <laughs> but um, – he and his wife um, uh, could not have biological children. They could not conceive. And uh, this is like an extreme – like he, he – sp- I remember like he spoke in sermons about this and speaking very uh, passionately about how painful it was and how it didn't really make much sense, right? Like that uh, – it, it didn't make sense that he and his wife who were like a very loving couple and uh, obviously ran a church together um, – wanted to uh, open their home to a child and to love that child. It didn't make sense that, you know, um, uh, that they couldn't have one. And uh, meanwhile, you know, we 
the church was near Boston and like you hear stories of like teen pregnancy all the time and or people having children that are inconvenient to them or people that don't want to have children but get pregnant. And it just felt like God had made some colossal mistake or, or had like had had misallocated the children, as it were, right? Uh and the way they dealt with it is uh they adopted uh ten kids um who were wow. refugees uh oh from gosh. countries where they would have had really challenging existences and so the, like if you look at a photo of their family it's like kids of all different colors shapes and sizes you know kids from all different countries um and uh you know raising 10 kids is like a, a really challenging prospect but they managed to do it and uh i i you know i was very inspired by that whole story that he took something that were that you know they took something that was very painful and made it into something that was joyful and um they took something that was that that seemed like a slap in the face and and used it as an opportunity to love other people and that is kind of one of the messages of this movie i think right which is that um, that family or, or the movie at least poses the question uh, that like is family deeper than something that's just biological right mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know that it has a clear answer on it I think it's a, a, as with the initial decision the inciting incident I think it is at best a mixed bag right uh, I, I don't think it, it answers that question particularly clearly but it at least makes you think about like what is it that really makes a family like is it just that you're all biologically connected is it what you're willing to do for each other is it the sacrifices you're willing to make and to the extent that the movie is successful at asking those questions in an interesting way in a way that's moving I think it's very good I I also I kind of agree with Jeff a little bit that it really did have me on ed- on the edge of like I'm not sure if I really have fallen in love with these people. I I really think that like it's a very challenging balance to find between alienating the audience and you know making them love these characters and I think that um the movie mostly struck that balance but there're definitely times mm-hmm. when I'm like you know I'm not really not cool with this and sure. maybe the movie but it's not like we're not used to this in fiction though like come on yeah. like yeah, yeah. breaking bad like so many yeah. so many things we watch of people maybe doing bad things and maybe not making the right choices but doing it either out of a need for family to protect their families or something. I mean, we're talking about, you know, why they stole the little girl. Then we, then we can start talking about, okay, would they have been better off just leaving her with that family? Maybe there were some other solutions, like somehow getting the girl to the police and also making the police aware of the abuse or something like that. Like that's probably another way to do it. But I can also understand why. Right. It's not their decision to make. I also feel like it's intentional how it's sort of challenging us to like this family because they not only have that inciting incident, but they have all these other aspects which are not um, just like distasteful by societal rules, but just like morally as well, like teaching the kids how to Mm -hmm. shoplift, for example, Mm -hmm. or later on, like the final reveal that we have. And yet, um, while it's kind of challenges us that it doesn't quite um it kind of like leaves us with the with the prompts to you know these people are flawed they have their their issues and um yet they have these tender moments like this and it kind of like has that weird balance and i think that's why the film struck out struck out for me of what works for me so well because mm-hmm. it just kind of doesn't try to lead you in any way yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think that is to the movie's credit uh, that it is not 
villainizing uh, the, the other family. I mean, they are. It, it is to a certain extent, but it, it, it's not. It's not clear cut that they have. They are heroes. You know, they are. They haven't saved this child, and that's to the movie's credit, right? It, it's a more complicated proposition than that more morally gray than that but dave you you brought up in in a beautiful illustrative story about your pastor you brought up you know refugees and i couldn't help but thinking uh as i watched this about what's happening at our southern border here in the united states and having parents parents and their children separated for weeks months at a time and it's it's a it's a story in the news that i have been watching intently and emotionally and have been very invested in as a parent, just ha- it, it, it stirs in me a lot of feelings <laughs> and I couldn't help but feel that a little bit as I watched right, right. this. Like it's not, it's not their choice to separate but this child from its parents. Not you know? to get too hung up in the morals of this, but you know, we have child protective services in America. If you see parents doing something bad to their children, you can report it. And I think that it's uh, I'm not sure if they have something similar in Japan and maybe it's tougher for these people who are trying to stay a little bit off the grid and off at a notice of the authorities. Like, I do think there is a moral um, move to, like, do something to help the kid. And maybe it's not the right thing. Maybe it's not the perfect thing. But I I can't deny that I think that what they did is better than leaving the kids with an abusive household. Like, that's that's where I come down, ultimately. Well, well I, I, I really I think mean, we should we'll get into spoilers, guys, because yeah. like, yeah. it sounds like we've already shared our opinion on the movie. We, you know, three of us liked it. Jeff didn't connect with it as much, but there's a lot more to dive into, and I, there's more I want to ask you. So let's get to spoilers for Shoplifters starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you. You want to be fooled. I think the really interesting thing, by the way, is that, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about parenting. I'm sure you have too, Jeff, at this point, right? <laughs> and the act of parenting and what it means. And what I found fascinating about this movie is that, you know, these, the mother and father, they're imperfect. They're thieves. You know, they're criminals and they're, they're kind of living in ways that society doesn't approve of. And yet when it comes to these kids that they're in charge of, they still take care of them. They'll make sure they have something to eat. Even if they don't have much food, they'll set aside some for the girl that's, you know, another mouth to feed to bring into the fold and make sure she has clothes and food and something. They may not know how to raise her properly. And that brings up the idea of like so many parents to um, we don't know what we're doing. You know, we're, we're just trying to do our best. And I think based on what we've learned over time from our life experiences and certainly what we've you know researched in parenting books and whatnot. I I, th- I think the idea I'm just fascinated that these people are at least trying to make life a little better for these kids. And that's kind of the idea I got from the movie, too. Like at one point they're talking about the little girl and, you know, they're saying like, you know, normally a child in that situation would not be so um, empathetic, should not be so kind or something like that. And the idea that they're at least trying to raise them in a better way than even where they are, uh, maybe where they grew up. I thought was was interesting, at least. So, Jeff, why don't you illuminate some of the issues you had with the movie? Like specifically the main issue, you you just don't think anyone should have 
taking the kid. You, you think that that, no, that I, should I, not I, have been a thing? Like what? I yeah. think it's perfectly reasonable for them in the in that snowy cold night to come across this this little girl and think that she needs shelter for the night. But mm-hmm. they choose to keep her, right? They choose to keep her. Uh, I, I think it's perfectly reasonable for them to, you know, shelter a child that is that is in need of shelter. Uh, but then the next day you do something, <laughs> you know, you go to the authorities, you go to the family, whatever you need to do. Well, first, a couple things. First of all, they can't go to the authorities, right? As the rest right. of the movie makes clear. Secondly, um, when you say they keep her, they're not keeping her against her will, right? Like, but she's uh, she doesn't have a will. She's five. Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, I, I'm just saying, like, it's not as though she's like, please let me go, right? right. I mean, she's but clearly she's having five, a better dude. Right. She's clearly having a better time with the new family, right? I mean, well, that's, that's I don't know clear. if that's clear. That that she is quiet and reserved, and I think scared. based on the one scene we get with the mother at the end, it's like, oh, this is shitty. This is heartbreaking. <laughs> Not to mention, she this is like, where we're leaving the she child. Was, she was physically abused. She was physically uh, yeah. abused, right? So, like, it's. It, I think it's clear that like the the new environment was at least better for her soul. Right. It yeah. might not have been like the other place, like the, the parents might have been richer. They might have been able to give her a better life. Um, but they also abused her and they didn't like her. Right. It was she was an imposition to them. So uh, I agree with you. It's a mixed bag. But I also think that the movie tries to make clear that, uh, I don't know, it's 80 percent better with this kind of well, family of misfits. And they also kind of accidentally stumble upon it, too, because not only do they take her in with the intention of only keeping her for that one night to shelter from the cold. And you see the mother kind of protesting, saying, like, we have to bring her back. That wasn't a good thing to do. And then they just kind of um, are find such an affection for her that they end up just keeping her almost accidentally. Right, and I right. think it yeah, kind of selfish. goes toward, yeah, the um, the double meaning of the of the title of the movie, shoplifters. They don't not only shoplift, you know, items and things from stores, but they they kind of shoplift people, yeah. um, and, and have done before, right? This and have done before with the yeah. young uh, sort of the boy that they find in the in the car, and the girl. It sounds like too, right? Mm-hmm. The older girl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Although so, she so, so. seemed like she was part of her own. Like it was her will to come along as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, she clearly was older at that time. But mm-hmm. but um. But go ahead, Jeff. You we interrupt. You like you, you yeah. can respond to what we ha- have said. I I think. Let me just say, I think everything you're saying is a fair reading of the of the film. And and one I I understand. It's not that I'm baffled by how you could think that. <laughs> I I get it. I I and I think that's fair. And I I wanted to feel that way mm-hmm. about them, but I I felt like the environment that they bring her into is not a healthy one either. Right. And you know right. it didn't it 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 didn't feel like she had been delivered from from evil. You know it didn't feel like she had yeah. been saved in any significant way. It felt like she's a little out of the frying pan into the fryer. You know it 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 it, it, it was certainly a more loving home. But it was flawed in its own ways, and she was being taught how to steal and grift and, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, I just, I just wasn't along for that. You know that. Mm-hmm. Um, another movie that I had a real emotional uh, reaction to. I, I think we reviewed it here. I can't remember what you guys thought of it was, but it reminded me of it was the Light Between Oceans. Mm. Um, right, right. with uh, Michael oh, Fassbender, yeah. Yeah. Alicia Vikander. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, about the wrong people raising a child too. And it, it is not nearly as messy and emotionally or, uh, or morally gray as, as this, it, it really is a cl- clearer. I mean, these people are, Oh yeah. 
angels to the, you know, and, and, <laughs> and so it's easier. Right. And, and again, I, I find this movie to be, it's admirable that it allows there to be ambiguity there. I think that's what it's going for. But I also feel like it wants to start with ambiguity and it wants you to fall in love with these people. And I, I just mm-hmm. didn't. I I do think it does kind of stack the dice heavily against the girl's parents, like completely, you know, like they find the girl with bruises on her body when the girl is missing. uh, What's the police report? Like two months go by and the parents never like report her missing. Like the the movie stacks the deck against them as bad people, I think. So it's I can get not fully buying what the movie is selling, but I at least see like purposely like, yeah, what it's doing there. It's it's hard. It's hard for me to like have much sympathy for those parents at this point. Let's talk about some basic plot questions. First of all, in the chat room, unpronounceable username has asked the question. Uh, I really want to know how y'all made out of the tooth throwing scene or what y'all made out of the tooth throwing scene. As a Japanese person, it made me really curious how people from the West, like the con jury, uh, take it given the lack of exposition. Uh, or how people from the West react to, to scenes like that. I, I just assumed, uh, which I think is correct, mm-hmm. that it's just like a custom I was unfamiliar with. In Japan, right. there is no tooth fairy. They just throw the teeth straight up or straight down. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it does bring up like I, – I have kind of some basic plot questions, right? So we mentioned the other girl, um, not the husband-wife, but like the other – Mm-hmm. The, one that, the one that works yeah. at the uh, cuddling place or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I, it was, I just didn't really understand how she came into the family's orbit at all. Um, mm-hmm. I know her relationship to the grandma, right? Like, she's the child she was of the... Sold to sold to her, right? Or they, 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 the family didn't want her, and so the grandmother gets a stipend... To take care of her is that my no, uh, that was my understanding. No, I don't, I don't think, think that was right. the case. Yeah. No. yeah, because she's a uh, she's effectively a runaway. Yeah, yeah I think but that's right. The, the cops, the cops were basically lying. Like uh, the, it's really interesting the cops what the cops were doing by the end of this movie because it felt like they were gaslighting everybody in a way to like oh look at look at what these morally morally objectionable people have been doing to you. They've been lying. They don't really love you. Yeah, uh, it felt like they yeah. were trying to. Um, wedge them back into the rules of yeah. society that they yeah. were uh, escaping beforehand. Yeah. But what it, she does get money from those people every month. No, it's no, basically I, pity money. I think, yeah, like I think it's money. incidental yeah. pity money. That's right. I don't think because uh, during that conversation, the, the couple, right, the grandma visits the couple and then gets the money and the couple says, oh, yeah, our daughter is in Australia and uh, dad is bummed that, you know, she hasn't returned home uh, after vacation. So like, for her, she's just on like for the family. They're just she's just on vacation, right. um, so she is lying to them about where she is. I was just a little confused about why she was she, like how she hooked up with the family in the first place. That wasn't really clear to me. I, I assume um, like between one of the grandma visits, like the the whole story between the grandma and that family is that is some family gossip, you know. So I assume like once once you become a teenager, you're like. We really treated this whole this lady like, or at least our grandmother did. I guess, I guess that's it. Uh, maybe she felt sympathetic towards this, you know, old destitute lady who basically is in this situation because of what their grandfather did. Well, also being saved because of what their grandfather did, right? Like the money from the grandfather is helping her. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah. Except, like, I, I really like. But the, she didn't uh, get any like anything from his will, so they're yeah, kind of yeah. uh, they're trying to break she, recompense she, for it. Essentially, she didn't know, like, yeah, that this was uh, permanent. I guess, or at least a thing she could really bank on. But the grandmother was really interesting too, like somebody who has lived a life of regrets. I think the the whole scene, like the beach scene, 
her really, uh, I, I think, appreciating the younger woman at that point and seeing like her whole life in front of her. I found that kind of heartbreaking, even though she's making bank off of this other family. It is uh, it's it's truly sad. Well, the yeah. beach, I, I had the complete opposite interpretation of the beach scene than you. I mean, the beach scene, which comes near the end of the film, uh, is beautiful. You have all these you have these six individuals who are having fun and enjoying each other's company. And it's like it's actually the poster of the movie is them on mm-hmm. the beach. But grandma's um, not there jumping. Yeah, she's not no, there but jumping. She's watching them. But she's watching. She's, watching. she's, she's yeah. having a good time, and she says like thank you to them, you know, even though they can't hear her. Uh, and the, all six people are not related by blood, right? But they yeah. are uh, a family, and that's uh, I think just a, a remarkable uh, image, a remarkable tableau of like that that you can still have these. It's the movie is not meant to be like an encouraging, uplifting story. If you can still have mm-hmm. these familial bonds even without being a family, it, I think it's just meant to say. It's trying to say that family bonds are complicated and they're not yeah. always due to blood, right? I don't think we disagree, Dave. What yeah. you're saying does not negate what I was saying about the grandma. I was just saying I think she's a really interesting character because she was she basically was struck a raw deal. Her husband left her for another woman, which kind of put her in this mm. position. Mm. You know, like it, that. That is it. That's it's it's one inciting incident. If you, um, I, I guess like talking to people who have definitely um who have been poor at one point or who are struggling it's often just one thing one thing that breaks your entire lifestyle down you know and that forces you to have to live in a way that maybe you're not used to mm-hmm. and to me I, I wish the movie maybe spent a little more time with that but i felt like that was that 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 was the incident uh for that grandmother and that's also partially why the other family feels so guilty and mm-hmm. keeps paying her out um, it reminds me of that that's that scene in Boogie Nights <laughs> of all movies where uh, uh, Heather Graham is like, "Can I call? I want to call you mom. Can I call you mom? Will you, right. will you let me call you call you mom?" And you know, it's like these broken people whose families are awful, just trying desperately to have some mm-hmm. family structure in their lives. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. I think both movies definitely tackle that issue, and that's probably the only thing both movies have in common. Um, <laughs> and, and pornography. Well, a, a, a certain type of pornography yeah, sure. yeah there's, a, there's yeah. a lot more in common than you might think actually <laughs> uh, so d- discussion of boners in both movies mm, uh, yeah 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 um boobs is also discussed in both movies um so <laughs> so uh one other thing i uh, the 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 murder is brought up or uh, i guess crime of passion self-defense whatever you want to call it that i feel like really threw me for a loop um, yeah yeah in that like i wasn't sure what the movie is trying to say with that right is it is the idea that like they kill this guy and that's how they ended up in a situation connected with this woman right like with the with the grandma um yeah. go ahead ht like what was your interpretation like why do you think the movie introduces this murder like 20 minutes before the end of the movie yeah, I thought that this was a part that kind of stood out from the rest of it because the movie, the rest of the movie just kind of moved so slowly and was so just um, non, non, uh, it's not very plot uh, driven, right? It's not yeah, not very plot driven. And suddenly yeah. there's kind no of like plot. this very, there's there a very seedy twist towards the end. But yeah, um, I did wonder about this, but I feel like this was just kind of in the end, the film almost like testing us. 
in a way saying like, oh, these people have done like the the worst moral and like social thing that you can do possible. And uh, that's after kind of... they bury the person in the bathroom or whatever. Exactly. You know, like... Yeah. Which <laughs> yeah. was a very harrowing scene, I yeah, thought, too. Very intense. Um, and then they kind of just like layer this on top like, oh, they also murdered someone. Um, and I I did I did end up liking it because I felt like it was just kind of the final test of the film and like challenging us to like these people <laughs> or to at least sort of um, kind of accept them in some way, despite being like really kind of the, you know, the worst kind of person by legal and moral standards. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I did. Yeah, I did think that it was a little bit out of place with almost the rest of the film. I, I, my interpretation of it was just that it's it's another way in which these these characters are on the margins, right? That they mm. have uh, they have murdered this person, and like uh, presumably that interferes with their legal standing, their social standing, right? Yeah. And 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 forces them to live kind of more off the grid than they would like. So, and I think specifically in the movie points out like the the husband, it was uh, Nobu's uh, previous husband who was abusive, and I really wonder like what what is the situation there, like. If she had reported it, if she had reported that he was killed in self-defense or something, would would that be a viable thing to do in Japan? Like, could you even do that as a woman in Japan easily without, you know, tarnishing your social reputation or right. something? Like, I'm not sure how the legal system would kind of end up there. And I think it's really interesting that the cops are just like, yeah, they're not they're not exactly great, at least because they're, they're all about really trying to figure out um, who's to blame for this, right? They're, they're mm -hmm. trying to figure out who's charged. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody even informs them that um, jury's parents are abusive. And it, I was surprised that even after um, that whole thing where the you know jury was missing, her parents didn't report her, uh, that she still ends up with them. And nobody at the, the court is like, hey, what, wait? Yeah, what? yeah. What? Uh, that, that was that was a little. Uh, it was. It felt. It felt plausible to me. It felt plausible I'm to sure, me. But I, I'm sure. I agree. I don't, it should yeah, have I don't know. Been but like a plausible a example system in Japan. Yeah. 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 It, it's a little bit expressed in a little bit too shorthand. I think it, yeah. it 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 just sort of leaves it there, and it's like, well, how did how did they get out of that one? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Right. You know. Because in the next uh, moment, like they're giving a press conference about how she's doing, right? And yeah. That was a little bit odd. So. Um, th there's a few th scenes I want to just mention real quick and, and a couple I want to ask you all about. Uh, we have to talk about the ending, too. Yeah, we got to talk about the ending. So, But one thing I wanted to mention is you guys alluded to earlier um, the uh, when they, they give her the gluten cake, as it's called, <laughs> as it's inartfully <laughs> called. They, I don't think they, it's – that's probably – gluten cake is probably like the very exact translation, but I think I've had yeah, that yeah. before. I don't think it's called gluten cake, but whatever. Um, it's in hot pot all the time. Yeah. That was one of the most moving scenes of the movie for me because, yeah, first yeah. of all, uh, I eat hot pot with my family all the time, mm -hmm. right? Like, and it's not a um, uh, certainly you can find hot pot restaurants in the U.S., but it's it's not mm -hmm. like a, an American delicacy, right? It's it's an Asian uh, practice where you just cook. It, it is getting bigger in Europe. I'll it say. is. They're popping up everywhere. Yeah, They're they are. are. There's many it's a very hot pot family restaurants. oriented thing, right? Because you're all eating from one bowl. Yeah, and... that's right. You cook all your food in one thing, one bowl in the middle, and then. Uh, it was just I just found it that was one of the most moving parts of the movie to me like that was when I was mm -hmm. most moved not by the ending not by the chasing after the thing but 
when they invite her into their circle by offering her food from the hot pot. And I just felt like it was such a profound, like food is really important in my life and um, Asian food in particular is very important in my life. And so to just see that depiction of welcoming this person into the family by offering them food from the main hot, from the family hot pot. Um, I just, that was yeah. a very powerful. When, when they really don't have much to eat either. Right? Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. So that yeah, yeah. that's, it's even more important. One of my favorite, favorite most from the movie, but let's talk about the two, Endings, or, or I think of it as like one ending and then this epilogue with uh, with jury, right? So the ending uh, where uh, the the father is chasing after this. I mean, you know, the mom gives the uh, details right of where uh, Shota can find uh, mm-hmm. his parents, right? And then and then the dad says like, you know, we we we're gonna leave you, and by the way, we can't ever speak again. And then they uh, and then he like kind of runs after her uh, or runs after him. And I think this is this is really where the movie is cashing in its chips, right? Like this is where if if you are going to be moved, if you're going to have your heartstrings pulled, this is it. And Jeff, it sounds like it didn't quite connect for you that final scene. Like what what did you think of that scene when he's chasing after the bus and then he finally calls him dad? Like did you and showed yeah. the final calls him dad? Did that did that get you at all? Did that get you? No, I'm no. afraid it didn't. But mm. I, I and I feel bad saying it because I I understood what the movie was doing. And and as as I said, the whole movie I sort of watched in this weird detached way that mm. I admired it. And I thought that scene was an effective one stylistically, but I just yeah I felt like the the that entire sequence leading up to it is just traumatizing to that kid. You mm. know, like. <laughs> It's just messed up. Like, you know, we're we're shipping you off. You can never see me again. I'm putting you on this bus, and I'm gonna chase after it to make it way worse. I don't know. It, it's just it's the whole thing. I I don't know. I, I feel bad saying that because I understood what the movie was doing, and I and I think it was a sweet moment of finally calling him dad. In, in you know that silent sort of da- last dad. Yeah. Um. It's sweet, but it just I just was not. I was never rooting for these people to become a family. Right. I just felt like it was yeah. not good for any of them. But I, I, I was certainly rooting for Shoda to have a time, have a chance to be a normal kid. Yeah. You know, there, there are points where he's hanging out with a little girl and they see the school kids going off with their, you know, bright, shiny uniforms and their backpacks and everything. He's like, oh, yeah, that's that's for kids who don't get to learn at home. Right. And <laughs> yeah. that that broke my heart. Where it's like he is just he's missing so much. Uh, right. right. That That's why it's not have. in a good place. Right. Well, yeah. certainly not in a good place, but maybe better than being off on his own or something like certainly like I, that's the bittersweet part of the ending. Right. He has to leave this family, but it's 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 painful to be sure. That yeah, shot. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, HD. I again, I don't think that this movie is asking you to root for them in like the mm-hmm. circumstances that you find them in. I think it's giving you this picture or this portrait of these people who are making the best of what they have and showing that there are moments of humanity and and just um joy in these weird this on the edge like on the edges of a society like this so yeah i i'm yeah. i get what you're saying jeff and i i totally see it and i i but um i don't think that is quite as like trying to get you to feel something as as uh you got from this film Fair enough. Uh, I, that one shot um, where he goes over the edge of the yeah. uh, overpass mm-hmm. and then you just see the oranges roll. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Un- amazing. Incredible. 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 Like such an amazing way of conveying what happened. Yes. You see a kid go over the edge, you see oranges fly out and then like or roll down mm-hmm. the thing and that's all you see. 
Yeah, and yeah. like it tells all you need to see. You, you yeah. know everything. Yeah. Oh, but mm-hmm. you, you do mention that like it was his intention to to get caught, right? Uh, yep. I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't necessarily interpret it that way. Like w- when he did it, I, I interpreted it like he was trying to get uh, Jury out of out of a jam, or, or he was trying to prevent her from doing something bad, right? Like he was kind of throwing himself in the way of of Jury's future, as it were, mm-hmm. as a criminal. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. So yeah. it yep. was it was weird to me when he's like, I intended to get caught because he it didn't seem like he was intending to get caught. It seemed like he was trying to run away. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, he was trying to stall for time so she could get away is what my, yeah, I took. Yeah. You know? so, and, but that, that's but also like at a time to... where everyone is saying hurtful things to him yes. as well, too. Like it, it, it is like a jab he can give back. Like, mm. OK, I, I didn't really want to be a part of this family. I want it yeah. out. Yeah, that's how I, yeah. I took it as Especially well. Especially when it follows yeah. the um, the part where the shop owner says, like, oh, I know what you're doing. And he like warns the, the kid to like not yeah. to stop jury from like following this life as well right really yeah. really great moment i thought that was like yeah. a very powerful moment with that mo- that moment of connection and knowing that they share with each other um mm-hmm. the old man in the shop and, and that was my favorite scene in the whole movie yeah that was my favorite scene. Scene. that old man just like showing kindness right there i just thought it was beautiful yeah mm-hmm. final shot of the movie you see that jury is still neglected in her new existence she looks out over the city potentially looking for her old family um, I thought it was a, a kind of a beautiful, bittersweet way to end the movie. I, I think of it more like an epilogue, right, than than really the yeah. ending. Um, any any thoughts on that ending? Ht, were you a fan of uh, what that ending was trying to say? I was. I really. I thought it was such a simple and effective ending, and um, it. <laughs> this poor girl is just so traumatized <laughs> by like all her experiences, yeah. <laughs> um, but it does kind of give you that that. Um, that sort of ray of hope in that she has something, I guess, joyous to look back on, even if it was from such a messed up, um, you know, morally complex time um, in that she like has a ray of almost like a, a light at the end of the tunnel almost. Yeah. It's important that she, her mother, uh, uh, that one like terrible scene is like trying to tempt her back with you know new clothes or something. And then we know from the whole, you know, clothes shopping scene that she thinks that's when oh. her mother's going to hit her. That was and, my favorite scene, actually. Yeah. Um, the, the shopping scene is fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, towards the end, it's like the girl also knows like, oh, I don't I don't have to do this. You know, I know I could be smarter than this. I don't have to fall for what they're saying. So even though she's still super young, um, I, I think there's a hope there, too, that she could try to fight back against like this abuse in some way. Yeah, I, I echo HT's thoughts on the ending that, that basically she she has at least experienced what love is at mm-hmm. that point what what familial love is um mm. and even though it was in one of the most traumatizing ways imaginable <laughs> um at least there is some kind of frame of re- reference there mm-hmm. uh, yeah. also i just want to point out that i i really wanted to do like a a a really impactful uh, boom goes the dynamite joke about Florida Project, you know, like um, <laughs> actually leave no trace is the one to do mm, it with. This yeah. family that lives in a place they're not supposed to be living, yeah. and where a parental unit is teaching the children how to do crime, you know, like I really, but I just I also I also didn't want to spoil Florida Project as well because a lot of people haven't seen yeah. that movie yet. And it's very good, so mm-hmm. um, well, so you're I, welcome for saving you from it. That's all I'm saying. It's interesting that you bring that up because I, I feel dumb now not making that connection before you brought it up, but yeah, it clearly is the same kind of reaction that I had to that movie. I was one of the you know only people on that episode that didn't love that movie. And I think it, it maybe have the same, 
it's from the same place of just feeling like the kids, <laughs> you know, the, in both films, the, the experience of the child is just bad. Either way you slice it, you know, and there's no, there's no, it, it, it's more interesting. Like what the movies are trying to say. It's it's not like we're just watching child abuse for fun. I mm-hmm. think, right. I, I think they're both trying to convey a certain message about, family and togetherness or something I or optimism know. in some sort yeah. because florida I, yeah. project too has optimism that, in a rough life yeah yeah has that you know childlike perspective that makes this film not quite as bleak as it would be if it were just focused on the poverty oh, yeah. but both movies have scenes of people of the protagonist watching fireworks um, yep. which I, I think is kind of like a really shorthand way of conveying like, look, you know, uh, this vast distance between them and their aspirations. And um, they can't even all- see the fireworks in this movie. They're hearing the echoes of the fireworks of the expensive <laughs> apartments around them. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was a beautiful scene. I also love that. That was the camera angle I was pointing out. And it's also the tiny sparks of joy you have yeah, in the vast yeah. expanse of space that's dark and crushing. Exactly, exactly. Actually, I like this movie a little more than Florida Project because I think like Florida Project was a, was a great film, but there was this detachment from mm-hmm. its characters, right? It felt like the, mo- the 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 editing was showing you kind of snippets of these characters' lives at various points in time without really giving you insight into like the mom character, like what was her yeah. motivation, what was her thinking. This is a more challenging version of like a similar tale, right? Yeah. It, it, and it and it really uh, lets you get to know the characters a little bit better, I think, um, than Florida Project mm-hmm. did. So I actually like this movie better. But either way, uh, it's a movie that I certainly think is worth experiencing and checking out. It's on video on demand right now. Shoplifters is, and I believe it'll be on Hulu by the end of the month. Is my understanding? Oh wow! So wow. Uh, yeah, people have a chance to enjoy it. If you have Hulu, and you can also buy it right now. If you want to support uh, indie cinema, foreign cinema, uh, this movie won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, um, and it was also nominated for Best Foreign Film. Uh, I hope people will check it out. I think it's definitely worth the journey. Uh, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the podcast. Find more episodes of this show at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week on the show. In the meantime, HT, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? You can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com. I'm on Twitter at HTranBui. You can hear me on SlashFilmDaily and also on my podcast, The Millennial Falcon Podcast, which is on Google and um, iTunes and other podcast platforms. Jeff Kanata. Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a video game podcast as well, which is called DLC. You can find that wherever you get podcasts or by visiting Five by five dot TV slash DLC. Devendra Hardor. You can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra and I write about tech and gadget.com. I'm also doing a tech Q&A show at nomoretech.net. That's no with a K. This week, I am putting out a video in which I interview the filmmakers behind a very cool sci-fi film called Prospect. Uh, and it's out on video on demand. The movie is out on video on demand on March 8th. Uh, and you can find my interview with them. Uh, on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen S-K-Y. It'll also be on slashfilm.com. And uh, it's about helmets, space helmets, and why it's so <laughs> difficult to make space helmets and why it is that most of the time when you have a movie with space helmets, the movie finds some excuse for people to take off the space helmets. Uh, because it's, it's really difficult to film people in space helmets. And we cover oh, it explains some of... Prometheus. Yeah, th- that's yeah. Ex- explicitly referenced in this interview. <laughs> so 
Uh, you should definitely check it out again. It's going to be on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash DaveChensky or at slashfilm.com. Next week, it's got to be Captain Marvel. That's what we're going to be discussing Speaking here. Speaking of Space case. Helmets. That's right. Um, so thanks for listening and uh, hope to see you next week for our conversation about Captain Marvel. If everything goes okay, uh, if all goes according to plan, Joanna Robinson is going to be our guest. Uh, so it should be a fun time. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later.